Daniel chapter 4 is where we are at today, so if you would open up your scriptures, hopefully you're there already. We're going to try to uh, kind of cruise through this today. Uh, it's, a, it's a big passage. We're not going to read it all. I'm going to kind of tell you a little bit of a story uh, to summarize the first part of it, and then we're going to jump in midstream. So we're going to be jumping in around verse 19 is where we're going to be jumping in at. So we're going to start in chapter 4, and uh, I'm going to kind of summarize the first 18 verses And then we're going to jump in and read beginning in verse 19. So, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar is is at ease and he's in his his house and he's prospering and just everything's awesome. He's just uh, reaping all the rewards of his his kingdom and his, his incredible city. And then he has a dream, okay? That starts in verse 5. In this dream, he has a dream of a tree that sprawls up from the desert and uh, expands across a huge uh, tree that extends all the way up into the heavens. And uh, all the birds and the animals uh, uh, benefit from it and the fruit uh, feeds everybody. And it's just this incredible vision of a tree. And then all of a sudden, a watcher is what it's called. It's an angelic messenger uh, appears to Nebuchadnezzar in the dream and he says, chop down the tree. All right. So the, the angelic messenger makes a proclamation. The tree will be chopped down. The branches will be stripped. The leaves will be stripped from the branches and the stump will be left. And that there's a, a band or some people translated a fence. The scripture says band, a band of bronze and of iron to be left around the, the stump and later it's to grow. Okay. Now the important thing about the, the dream is that the pronouns change. I, I don't mean to be too English oriented, but it's important. In verse 15, if you'll just take a look at that for a second, it says, leave the stump and its roots in the, in the earth ban, uh, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass in the field. Now listen to this, let him, okay, tree's not a him, right? But it is in this tree because this tree represents Nebuchadnezzar. Let him be wet with the heaven, uh, with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed into from a man's to a beast's mind, let him be given several periods of time. All right? The purpose of the dream is found at the end of verse 17. It says that, uh, that all the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills and sets over it the lowest, lowliest of men. Now, that's the dream. Daniel calls, or uh, Nebuchadnezzar calls in all of his, his guys, his magicians. They are of no help at all. They haven't been of help, any help the entire book of Daniel. I don't know why he didn't fire them, but they're of no help at all. So he calls in Daniel, who he calls Belshazzar, okay? And that's what we're going to pick up in verse 19. Here we go. We're going to start reading now. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismissed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, all right? Daniel just says, the tree is you. Nebuchadnezzar, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, and your greatness has grown and reached to the heavens, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, that's the angelic being, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree, destroy it. But leave the stump and its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and his portion with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over. 
This is the interpretation, O king. Now he's given the interpretation. It is a decree from the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know, again, this is the reason, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots and the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon? Notice how he phrases this. Which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven out from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you. Again, until you know the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from among men. And he ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till his hair grew long as the eagle's feathers. And his nails were like bird's claws. And at the end of the day, so the end of seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High. And praised and honored Him who lives forever. Listen to how he's changed, okay? Now he's saying, for his, for God's dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. For the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me. And I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and all his ways are just. Now please, pay attention to this last phrase. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Father in heaven, we... uh, we pick the easy way today. Lord, we, we pick the way of, of hearing your word and of saying, yes, we will submit to you. We will obey you. We will love you. We will honor you. We will see you're glorious. We'll be all about you and not all about ourselves. Father, we don't want the hard way. God, we don't want you to have to discipline us. We don't want you to have to judge us. Lord, we know that you're merciful and kind in those things. But God, Lord, we want to be quick to respond to you today. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would enable us to to say yes, to humble ourselves, to exalt you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we find in this passage is that God makes Nebuchadnezzar mentally ill for seven years. He eats grass. Grass, guys. We're talking Bermuda, okay? We're talking uh, 
fescue. Eats grass. He, he doesn't take care of his personal appearance. Uh, his hair grows long. His nails grow long. He's, he's out mooing in the field. He's not, he's not talking. He's not relating with people. He is mentally ill, okay? And what we find is it's the nicest thing that anybody ever did for this guy, okay? Now, please, please don't take that out of context. I'm not saying mental illness is a nice thing. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying here is that Nebuchadnezzar has a huge pride problem, okay? Nebuchadnezzar has a pride problem that is going to keep him from God and judge him forever. And what I'm telling you is that in this story, God is merciful to this man, all right? The first act of mercy, as you'll notice, he gives him the easy way, all right? The easy way is... Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to give you my word, okay? And he does it in the form of a dream, all right? And really, the dream is pretty clear. I mean, we can, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We're not dream interpreters, but I think I could figure this one out, you know? Uh, I mean, you got this tree that expands up into the heavens and it takes care of everybody and it it spans this huge, you know, and uh, an angel comes from heaven, chop it down. I mean, you know, hey, that's you, Nebuchadnezzar. That is you. But, 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 But even though it wasn't maybe obvious to him, God sends Daniel, all right? And Daniel interprets the dream, interprets it plainly for him. And he interprets it as an evangelist. Man, I want you to notice this guy, Daniel, is just outstandingly impressive, is he not? Look in verse 19. All right, now remember who, he, who Daniel is. He's an exile, right? Nebuchadnezzar took him from his home when he was just a, a teenage boy and drug him to Babylon and made him, you know, go to school as a Babylonian and put him in the service of the Babylonians. And, and God raises Daniel up clear to a pro, position of prominence. But remember, Nebuchadnezzar is the guy that destroyed his home. He's the guy that destroyed his family, all right? But Daniel, man, just an outstanding picture of a man of God. He cares about the lost, all right? And so when this dream comes to Nebuchadnezzar, verse 19, notice Daniel's, Daniel's response. It says, Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. His thoughts alarmed him. The king said, oh, Belshazzar, don't, don't, don't be alarmed. It's okay. You know, my, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. You, you, know, what, you know what we would have been tempted to do in that situation? We'd have been tempted to be like, dude, God's going to get you. It's about time, you know. You think you can destroy our city and our land? Well, I'll tell you what, the judgment of God is going to come on you like a hammer, right? And that's not Daniel's heart. Daniel's heart is, man, hey, repent, repent. In fact, notice his per- notice what Daniel says. After he interprets the dream, after he tells Nebuchadnezzar, man, this is you, God's, God's going to judge you, God's going to discipline you. Notice verse 27. He says, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. So he's pleading, please listen to me. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. All right, you know what Daniel says there? King, please take the easy way. What's the easy way? The easy way is when you hear the word of God, okay? When you hear the word of God, the word of God comes to you and it's clear. You're in sin, man. You're living as you should not be living. You're living in a way that's contrary to the scripture. You're living in a way that God is not pleased with. Okay, the easy way is hear the word of God and repent. 
Repent, change your life. I mean, for real. Notice he doesn't just say repent. He says, man, practice righteousness. In other words, let there be a real, genuine transformation in your heart. Turn to God. Repent. Trust Him. Put your faith in Him. Allow Him to change your life. I mean, it's what we preach every week here at Lincoln Avenue. Repent of your sins and trust Jesus. That's essentially what Daniel says here. And notice how he ends it. That there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Here's what Daniel knows about God. God is a merciful God, is he not? I mean, he's a God of compassion. I mean, many of us stand here, many of us in this room stand here today as people who've been forgiven by his grace, aren't we? We're people whose lives were a wreck and we were sinning against God and we were living in a way that was not pleasing and we heard the word of God and God was merciful. We turned and God was gracious. He did not judge us. He did not condemn us, but rather he extended his grace and changed our life and we repented of our sin and we're new people in Christ, right? I mean, God did not send us to hell like we deserve, but he gave us grace. And, and Daniel knows that's the kind of God he serves. A God who's incredibly patient and merciful. A God who, who, who in Nineveh, remember the city of Nineveh was a wicked, brutal, uh, evil city. God sends Jonah there. Jonah preaches one sermon. Repent or God's going to judge you. Judgment's coming in 40 days. You're going to be destroyed. The entire city repents. The king puts on sackcloth and ashes and tells the whole city, repent. Everybody, you're commanded to repent. You got to turn because God's judgment is coming. And God pulls back his judgment. God was merciful. God was gracious. And, and so Daniel is pleading with the king, take the easy way. But unfortunately, many are just like Nebuchadnezzar. And we say, no, I'll have the hard way, please. We, we, why? Why? Why do we do that? Why, why, you know what the hard way is? The hard way is I'm not listening to the word of God. I'm not listening to the dream. I'm not listening to the sermon. I'm not listening to the preacher. I'm not listening to the prophet. I'm not listening to God's truth. No, 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 no. That's not enough. I'm going to have to have something else. And God gives something else. Verse 28. One year later, okay, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29. At the end of 12 months. There's 12 months that passes by. 12 months he's got to repent, you know. 12 months he's got to get his life right with God to repent of his sins and and begin to submit himself to the Lord. And and, and man, he, he does. And at the end of 12 months, he's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Now, I want to stop right there, okay. Stop right there in verse 29. I want you to think about what he sees, okay? He's on the, on the roof of the royal palace of, Babylon, palace of Babylon. If you don't know much about the history of Babylon, Babylon was probably the greatest city in the, in the history of the world, okay? Uh, many people would say that. Let me, let me read you a historical account that I, that I, uh, I pulled off of a Sam Storm site. Babylon truly was a great and visually impressive city. It was surrounded by a system of double walls, the outer one of which was 17 miles long and wide enough for two chariots to race side by side on on its top. Of the city's eight gates, the most beautiful was the Ishtar Gate. The processional street to which gave access it gave access was a thousand yards long, and it was decorated on each side with enameled bricks, which displayed 120 lions and 575 dragons and bulls. There were more than 50 temples in the city. The hanging gardens were regarded, you've probably heard of those before, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. These were elevated gardens, high enough to be seen beyond the 
the city walls. Nebuchadnezzar built gardens on platforms extended in, in above the city, basically. So you had this forest above the city, high enough you could see them from the outside over the walls, okay? They boasted many times of different plants and palm trees. Ingenious hoists have been contrived to which to raise water to the high terraces from the Euphrates River. It's believed that the gardens were made by the king, especially for the enjoyment of his wife, who's been raised on the, who's raised in the mountains of Media. So, all right. So he's on top of his palace and he's looking out at that city. And notice what he says. Verse, verse 30. Is not, this great ba- is not this great Babylon, which, notice here, which I have built... By my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Okay, that's key. I have built by my power for my glory, for my majesty. Okay, now what what I would tell you is the Bible says exactly the opposite is true. Okay? Colossians 1.16 is is a great verse for Nebuchadnezzar here. Okay? Because here's what it says. It says, for by him, by Jesus, him is Jesus here. For by him, all things were created, okay, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether, notice here, whether thrones, Nebuchadnezzar thrones, or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created, very key language here, through him, through Jesus, and for him, for Jesus. Okay, so what's Nebuchadnezzar saying? Nebuchadnezzar's saying, I did all of this. This is by my power. I'm a self-made man. I have, have made, I am the center of my life, and all of this is for me. Everything in my life is for me. It, it caters to me. It's all for my glory. It's to show people my majesty. Colossians 1.16 says, everything that's made, everything that's created, everything that exists in the world is by Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, and for Jesus Christ. All right, so we've got a clash of ideas here, don't we? Okay, we got Nebuchadnezzar saying, me and my glory. We got Colossians 1 saying Jesus and his glory. All right? These two are at odds with one another. Okay? I wonder who's right. I think God is. Okay, so we're, I'm going to prove that to you here. All right? So, so, so the problem that we're dealing with here is a problem called pride. If you'll notice the very last verse of this passage, uh, verse, when he comes to his senses, the last thing he says here in verse 37 is that those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how God humbles Nebuchadnezzar here. But let's talk, first of all, about pride. Now, let, let's give some definition or some, uh, some, uh, um, some, some insight to pride, okay? First of all, pride compulsively looks for ways to exalt self. Okay, that's a way that we could describe pride. Pride exalts self. Pride does that in, in many ways. One way that it does it is through boasting, okay? Boasting. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't try to hide this at all. He stands on top of the palace and says, my glory, my city, my praise, my honor, my majesty. Most of us are not that bold, okay? Most of us find creative ways to kind of position ourselves so that people see what we've done, right? So that, so that people know how important we are, so that people... People know how integral we are to the family, to the job, to the church, to the community. We, we, we want to show that in different ways. Sometimes we show that by what we drive, by where we live, by, by what kind of house we have, by, by, by what kind of clothes we wear, by kind of how we position ourselves. Okay, We don't always have to. It's, it's the hard thing that matters here. But, but, but what we're saying is, look how important I am. 
Pride always demands special treatment, okay? One of the ways that, I know, I know pride's a hard thing maybe to get our handle on or get, am I a prideful person, am I not, okay? One of the ways that you know that is how do you feel when you don't get the glory, the attention, the, 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 the centralness that you feel like you deserve, okay? So whenever you're bypassed, whenever you're slighted, whenever you're not recognized, whenever you're not important in the decision, okay, how do you react to that, okay? If there's anger, Fit throwing, revenge, cold shoulder, quitting. That's a good sign that, you know, your life revolves around you being made much of. Pride records all of its wounds, okay? I always like to jump to the other end of it because you, you've always got some people that are like, man, I am not prideful at all, you know? I'm just, I'm a wreck and my life's a wreck and, and I tell you what, everything's always been bad for me and nothing's ever been given good for me and I tell you what, I got to put up with, I got the worst family in the whole world. They treat me like a dog and they treat me like dirt and I got the worst job and, and I tell you what, everybody always makes me do the worst stuff and, and I'm at the bottom of the, of the totem pole and everybody, I got, I, if it wasn't for me that whole place would shut down because i got to do it all and woe is me okay that's pride okay that's pride masking itself in self-pity all right but but you do you see what who who am i making much of when, when i when i say all that it's not god and it's not others it's me right it's all about me. It's all about my trials and my tribulations and my hardships and, and my, my this and my that. But it's still all about me. So pride records all of its wounds and makes a big deal to show that, to display that to everyone. Pride loves to strategically compare itself to others. Man, you're, you're going to always, you can recognize pride by the comparison, you know? And I say strategically because we compare ourselves to people that we look good against, right? I mean, that's what we, that's what we want to do. We want, we want, we want to display the, the badness of others so that we look good. Okay, now the, the, the Bible thrusts upon us the very opposite, humility, okay? Let me read you a great couple verses on humility. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. Listen to this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, okay? Stop right there. One of the ways that you can always spot humility is humility is willing to gladly submit. Okay? Humility is willing to put itself under the authority of others, under the service of others. Okay? Humility is always willing to do that. Okay? Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. That's a great picture. Clothe... Just wrap yourself up in humility, all of you, humility toward one another. And then listen to this verse. We're going we're to hit this several times. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you don't have that little verse memorized, get her done by tonight, okay? God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Would you say that with me, just for my own enjoyment? God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Once again, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. That dude is going to save your skin, folks, okay? If you, if you will grab hold of that that, 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 that will rescue you, all right? God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Notice the next verse. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Okay, so what's the Bible saying there? Wrap yourself in humility, be concerned about others, exalt God, and let God take care of you. Let, let God take care of you. Can he handle it? I think he can. Okay? Let God take care of you. Pride says, I'm making myself central. It's about me. And I demand that you all get on board with that. All right? I demand that you do. And when you don't, I'm mad. And when, when you don't, I, I push myself out there. Or I go find somebody else that will make much of me. Okay? Humility says, no, no, no. I'm about God. I'm about others. And I trust God 
to take care of me. Man, if you were here during our Philippians series, that was Philippians 2. That's the message of Philippians 2. Philippians 2, if you remember, started out in verse 3 saying, saying, count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, think about other people's interests, not your own. Verse 5, have the mind of Christ. What was the mind of Christ? Well, it tells us in verse 6 and 7 that Jesus stepped out of heaven, made himself nothing, took the form of a servant, served others. And then notice where that leads to. Verse 9, God highly exalts him and bestows on him the name that's above every name. Okay, you got Nebuchadnezzar saying, it's all about me. I'm going to take care of me. It's for my glory. And God humbles him. Okay, you got Jesus who comes, steps out of heaven, should be exalted, but serves others. And what happens to him? God exalts him. All right. So you got Nebuchadnezzar, you got Jesus. Okay. Which are you going to be? Bible says much about pride. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. In a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low. Proverbs eleven two. when pride comes, then comes shame. James 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Does that sound familiar? That was in 1 Peter just a minute ago, wasn't it? Two times. That's why I told you you need to memorize it. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Folks, pride keeps you from the grace and the mercy and the work of God. That, that, that's the truth of the scriptures. Pride will keep you from salvation. Let me, let me read that to you. We, we get a story of it in Luke 18. Luke 18, Jesus tells a story about two guys, okay? Verse 9 says, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like that tax collector. What's he doing? Comparing himself to others, right? He's found a wretch that he can stand by and say, man, look how good I look, God. I mean, wow, I'm awesome. Verse 12, he begins to boast. I fast twice a week, give up tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, okay, listen, listen, listen how this guy positions himself. Standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, Be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That is a scriptural principle, my friends. If you're a believer here today, it's not just about salvation. It's about everything in the Christian life, okay? You need God's power, do you not? You need God's power. You need God's wisdom. You need, you need God's work in your life. You need Him to reveal Himself. You need, you need Him to give you joy and peace and, and strength and, and power over sin. And, and listen, if you are clothed in pride, pride is a God repellent, okay? You know that mosquito spray that you're supposed to spray on yourself and all the mosquitoes are supposed to be repelled by it? I know it doesn't work, but let's just say that it did. Okay, all right, I want you to picture a God repellent. Whenever you stand up and say, it's about me, I'm making much of me. And you know, you guys need to make much of me. I'm all about me. I'm worried about me. I'm worried about my feelings. I'm worried about who's paying attention to me. Whenever you do that, that repels God, okay? You're not getting his grace. Remember why? Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble, okay? Isaiah chapter 2 paints a scary picture of pride. Isaiah 2.12, listen to what it says. For the Lord of hosts has a day, all right? There's, There's a day coming, guys. God's got a day, and it's a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, 
and it shall be brought low. And then verse 13, 14, 15, 16, it all gives examples of these things that are lifted up being brought low. And then in verse 17, it says, And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted on that day. The Bible is saying, look, there's coming a day when God's going to humble. He's going to humble all the exalted. He's going to humble all the prideful. Here's kind of the way I picture it, okay? There's coming a day when, when God's bringing his axe through the world, okay? And everything that's sticking up like this, you know, it's like, hey, look at me, okay? I mean, literally, that's kind of the picture in Isaiah 2. It's going to be chopped down. And, and, and everything that is submitted already to God, it's already submitted to God, already bowed down to God, already saying, God, this is about you. God, I, 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 I want to be about you. I'm going to make much of you. That's going to be spared, Okay? That, that's how essential humility is. How many of you have uh, been to Dr. Kirkendall's before? Some of you may not even know Dr. Kirkendall, but I bet many of you do. And he drew you a stick figure. Has anybody, anybody been to Doc? Okay, we got a couple. Been to Doc and he drew you a stick figure. He is famous for those. And uh, uh, he's got that copyrighted, but I asked him if I could use it today. And he said I could, okay? But I didn't want to draw stick figures uh, because uh, you guys are more merciful to him than you are me. And I know I'd get an email uh, tomorrow saying you, you, you made a graven image of God. You know, you've broken the second commandment. So anyway, so I wrote, I wrote names here, okay? I, want to, I don't know if you can see this. Can you see this back here? This has a big G-O-D right here. God, notice it takes up the whole paper, okay? And over right here in the corner is a little bitty me, okay? All right, so you got God and you got me, Okay, I wish I had one of those booming voices. This would be a lot more powerful if I did. You know, he's like, God, you know, God, and then B. Okay, all right. So now listen, when God is great big in your life, okay, when he's the central figure, when, when your passion and your pursuit is to exalt God and to respond to God, listen, a lot of things come easy in the Christian life, okay? So like when you hear the word of God telling you to step out, step out in your, in your, in your relationship, step out in service, step out in your money, step out in your, uh, in, in, in your, in your time, in, in your forgiveness or whatever, it, it's easier, okay? You know why? Because you're so small and God is so big, you know, and you're looking at him and you're like, oh, okay, you're telling me, hey, man, I can trust you. You know, you, you, you can, you give me everything I need, man. Look how big you are. Look how awesome you are. Look how glorious you are, man. I can trust you. Now, when your life looks like this, okay, and it's a great big me, and it's a little bit of God over here. You know, you, you, you have him in your life. You know, you cut out a little corner and you scrapbooked it real nice. Put hearts around it, you know. But, he, but he's real little, okay. And this is hard. This is hard to step out in obedience. This is a reason why a lot of people will hear a word from the Lord. They'll hear, they'll hear a sermon. And then it cuts right to where they're at. And they know, man, I'm wrong. I'm in sin. The Bible tells me. But, but I'm not going to do anything about it. You know why? Because... Me is central, right? And, and, and I don't think I can step out in faith because I'd have to step out. And man, I don't know if he can carry me. I mean, really, I don't know if he can do it. I mean, look how small he is. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can step out and, and stop doing what I'm doing or start doing what I know I should do because, because, because he's so small. And this plays out in every area of your Christian life. Pick any area. Forgiveness. Say, God asks you to Forgive. Well, which, which, one, which one of these is your life? That, that's, that's, that's a lot of what determines it, okay? If this is your life, okay, and someone hurts you, 
you know what? It's going to be hard. You have to go to the cross, but you're going to be able to forgive. You know why you're going to be able to forgive? Because you're going to look at this God. Wow. I mean, you, you down here, this little you, you have offended and transgressed and sinned against God your entire life. And this big God has forgiven and he's wiped them all away. And he said, Jason, as far as the east is from the west, I've forgiven your transgressions. Now I am asking you, you, little bit of you, with a little bitty offense to forgive your brother. And I'm able to do that. But oh, if you find yourself not able to forgive, if you find yourself being one of those people, you hold a grudge, you, you know why that probably is? It's hard to forgive when you do this. You know why? Because so, so, somebody, somebody dared... Somebody dared to cross. See, this is when the big voice would come in handy. Me, right? Someone dared to cry. How could, look, look at who I am. And they, they said that about me. You know, they, they did that to me. And, you know, and, and, and I know God's telling me to forgive, but it's so hard to hear him, right? Because, look, I mean, he's like, forgive, forgive. You know, and you're like. But this sin was against me, you know. They did this and all I can think about is how could they say that? How could they do that? How could they cross me? How could, you know, he's replaying your mind and it's this big booming. Wow, me, 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 me. Bible says love one another, bear with one another, minister to one another, give to one another, give your time. Ah, you, you, know, you, know, when it, you know when it's easy to do that? Man, when you got this God in your life, you know, and, and who's taking care of a little bitty me? Wow, okay, this big God is pouring all of his riches in, into me. And man, I can trust him, can't I? Can't I trust him with my time? Can I trust him with my job? Can I trust him with my relationship? I can, and, and I can just spend my time pouring into other people and investing and giving to myself and not worry about it because this big God is taking care of me. But this is your life. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Ministry? No, 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 no. I mean, do you, do you have any idea how much time it takes just to feed this? Okay? I mean, really, this is like nine junior high boys stacked on top of each other. I mean, if this is me, wow. Oh, man, I don't have, man, I, I just don't, I don't know if I got time for team kid. I don't know if I got time for children's ministry. I don't know if I got time to minister. I don't know if I got time to, to be a part of that because I, I got to take care of me. And you're like, yeah, but God will take care. Oh, but uh, how's he going to take care? I mean, I got to take care of myself. I got to get this done for me, right? My friends, what I'm trying to tell you is that pride and humility are central in everything in the Bible. Everything. Everything God asks us to do. Everything God, God, God calls us to do. And I don't know if you guys were, many of you here last week or not, but last week we looked at idolatry. Remember in, in chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Nebuchadnezzar making an idol of himself. And, and we talked a lot about idolatry. And, and listen, the most, the most prominent, prevalent idol in America, I believe, is, looks just like this. You know, we, we said that we don't make graven images. I think we do, though, don't we? It looks like this one, right? And, and, it, and it's where everything in my life revolves around me. And I'll let God into it as long as God fits into me, right? As long as God helps me. Yeah, God, how are you, you going to cater to me, God? Will you, give, will you give me this? Will you, will you do this for me? And God, if, if you don't, then I'm out, okay? I'm out. Because it's about me. Folks, that's idolatry. 
And listen, I want to sum it up like this. I really believe that everybody's going to go one of two directions in your life. You're, you're either going to spend your life exalting and displaying the kingdom of me. Okay? So I'm either going to spend my life exalting Jason. I'm going to spend my life making much of Jason. And I'm going to spend my life getting aggravated with Emma. You know? Because I really thought when I married, I was, I was, I was going to have my chief worshiper. Right? I mean, you know why most people marry? You know, it's like, hey, you know why we're getting married here? You're, you're going to make much of me, right? I mean, you're going to serve me, cater to me, you know, make much of me, you know, tell me how awesome I am, delight in me, right? I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, I'll either do that and, I, and I'll go to church where, where I think people will make much of me and, and I'll work at a job where, 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 where I can somehow be made much of either by how awesome I am or by how much they put on me and how terrible everything is. And I tell you what, that's a bunch of sorriest people I ever had in my whole life. And I'm the only one there, you know. I mean, it'll either be through martyr points or it'll be through, through awesome points, okay. But I'll, but I'll spend my life making my own kingdom. Or the other way is I'll spend my life. This is so much better. Building and exalting and displaying the kingdom of Jesus, our Savior. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What's it, what did Jesus say? He said, seek me. Make your life about me. And hey, I'll take care of you. And, and, and don't, don't, don't worry, don't fret because... This is the way it is, not this. Okay? So what happened? Well, Neb eats grass for seven years. Did I tell you guys that that's actually a condition? Did I say that in the service? It's called boanthropy, but I don't know. It's something like that. But it's actually, it's it's an actual mental condition where a person kind of loses their mind. They think they're an animal, you know, so... This, this dude is literally, I mean, this is not figurative language. He's mooing in the pasture for seven years, okay? Um, I, I, I believe that the band, remember the metal band that they put around? I believe that represents Daniel. I can't prove that to you, but, but I believe that God raised, he's already done that. We know he's done that by, by, by the first three chapters of Daniel. God, God raised Daniel to a position where he probably protected the king for seven years. You know, made sure nobody took the throne, assassinated him. But this guy is literally insane for seven years. And look what happens. He wakes up. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. I like that. You see that symbolic language? What's he finally do? Ah, this is what all this is about, isn't it? I lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Now, remember, remember how he was before? My kingdom, my glory, my majesty. Now listen to him. For his, God's dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from all, from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. Among the inhabitants of the earth, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right. And his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar gets saved? I don't know. 
It looks like it to me. That's the last kind of word we got on him. I, but I don't know because it kind of looked good in chapter 2 and it kind of looked good in chapter 3, you know. And, and so, so I guess we would need to see the rest of his life, right? But from what we see, it looks pretty good. But he had, he had to have the hard way. Here's what I would just plead with you today. Let's be a people that take the easy way, shall we? You know, I, 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 don't, I don't think God's, I mean, he might, I guess. I mean, if I'm eating grass, you know, tomorrow you'll know that, he, you know, I mean, this still happens. Uh, but but I, I think sometimes it's, it's, just, it's just the fact of, man, we resist him and we resist him. And sometimes we, we make a mess, a huge mess just a, a mess of our life before we finally look up. And what I'm saying is, let's, let's humble ourselves and let's learn to respond to the Word of God quickly. We're going to close our service today by participating in the Lord's Supper. So if our guys would come forward.